Some podcasts are funny, some are informative, others are even entertaining. Then there is this. Thank you for listening to the Clubbed Up Football Podcast. Welcome to the Clubbed Up Football Podcast. Where the only question is Does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Welcome back, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Hey, Rob. Hey, Aldrin. Oh, I was, I was leaving space for Aldrin to reply. That didn't happen. Oh, that was, <laughs> that was I, I rough, mean, I'd, I'd already said my hello, and then oh. JB said hello. What did you want? Oh, well, am I going to say right, hello right. again? Are we just doing eternal circle? Oh, yeah, <laughs> just leave it space. Just leave it space. Uh, well, no, what we, what we need to do here is now we're starting to expand our our intro bit. What we need to eventually work to is doing like a barbershop, uh, barbershop quartet kind of thing of like a hello, hello, hello kind of thing. I, I feel like you drastically overestimate our abilities, but sure. I mean, the it's fact important. that you said a barbershop quartet and the immediate problem is we're a trio. Yes, I mean, we'll find someone else. He's still here, right? He's still around. <laughs> we'll sure find we'll someone do an else. Intro segment. Yeah, yeah. To help us with it, this feels like something we should workshop rather than rather than go straight into on the pod. But it's Look, it, it's people nice. appreciate it's our nice. you know our top tier professionalism and preparedness that we bring to the pod every There's week. There's a certain level of honesty and authenticity, Aldrin, isn't there, in in the work we do? Yeah. Um, and th- and that's why. You know, Feedspot have us as one of their top 10 UK sports podcasts to listen to, right? This is the formula that the people love. Um, and yeah, welcome back. Well, not only do I need to say hello, Happy New Year to you both. Yeah, the Merry New Year. Calendar year has rolled over into 2024, but we continue with what the NFL still refer to as the 2023 season. But as the date probably... Um, suggests really points towards is that if the 23 season is now in 24 it means we're getting to the sharp end and i think that this weekend was oh, i don't know i can't even get away with it can i um again full of surprises although more surprises for me in terms of scoreline than necessarily winners i mean we're going to talk about it in loads of detail i'm sure but when we've been used to the dolphins putting up huge points on other teams i'm not necessarily sure that i saw them being on the receiving end of a 50 plus uh route um by baltimore um but yeah a week where some stories that i re- i was really expecting to end so the the free falling eagles i thought had a great chance to get back on track against the cardinals mercifully for us members of the red sea that absolutely didn't happen um you've got the raiders who looked like they were really finding something under antonio pierce and then all of a sudden the colts who looked like they would maybe lost a bit of their fire in recent weeks bounced back i mean it was the week that kind of had everything you could hope for um and I think it sets us up for not only a fun end to the regular season, but adds a bit of spice to some of those, some of those wonderful playoff storylines, doesn't it? So, 
I will give you the rundown of all the scores that gave us all these storylines as I talk about the week that was in the NFL. So as we always say, if you are under a rock, worry not, I'm going to take you through the scores. And we start nearly a week ago with Thursday Night Football. Joe Flacco keeps rolling. And the lovely news is from here on out, he can earn, what is it, half a million a game in bonuses if he keeps the Browns rolling, if not more, if he gets them to a Super Bowl. But anyway, all the points pretty much came in the first half, but it didn't matter for Cleveland. They raced into a lead and ended up winning 37 points to 20 in a game that seems to have done more for comment around officiating than football. The Dallas Cowboys ended up winning narrowly, with the Lions having a seemingly legitimate two-point conversion wiped off the scoreboards in a narrow 20-19 point defeat. The Houston Texans welcomed back star quarterback CJ Stroud, and with it came that superstar quarterback form. He was great as they put up 26 points to Tennessee's mere three to get divisional bragging rights. The Bears look like they'll be keeping their head coach next season. As much as I'm amazed by that, a 37 points to 17 win over Atlanta may add to ownership's confidence. And then again, we've already mentioned the Baltimore Ravens and Dolphins were battling it out for the top seed in the AFC. When Baltimore win 56 points to 19, it tells you we've got one definite contender and one possible pretender in that AFC battle. The Buccaneers had been on a roll. Losing 23 points to 13 to the New Orleans Saints probably takes a little bit of a shine off what was a fantastic end to the season and maybe just means I'm not quite as confident about them as I would have been heading into the playoffs. Well, the Bills are a weird one because they keep winning scrappy. They were playing well earlier in the season, then an awful dip. And although the form hasn't necessarily improved on the field, the scores are much rosier. 27-21 over a Patriots team really that shot themselves in the foot with an awful lot of turnovers. What a game it might have been otherwise. Well, Eagles-Cardinals was a game that had a famous turnover, a 99-yard pick six for the Philadelphia Eagles. But in the end, amazingly, that wasn't enough. A 21-6 lead at halftime was completely turned on its head as AZ won 35-31. The Jags needed to get right. The Panthers are the perfect team to play against. Even without Lawrence at QB, CJ Bethard was able to lead an onslaught. 26 points to naught tells you all of Carolina's problems and maybe gets the Jags a little bit of form before they head in to the playoffs. We've already mentioned them. Uh, the Colts went in stone cold. The Raiders went in red hot. So what happens in the NFL? Well, Minshew puts on a show and gets the Colts over the line, 23 points to 20. And then in a game that, I don't know, was incredibly strange, the Rams looked great offensively, put up 26 points, but it certainly needs mentioning that the New York Giants put up 25 points in response, but it is LA that get the win, however narrow. If we're feeling good about the Baltimore Ravens on the AFC side, well, you can feel just as positive about San Fran when you look at the NFC. The Commanders did some pretty nice things, but pretty nice things are not even close to being enough against the 49ers. 27 points to 10 was enough with an Eagles loss to confirm the 49ers as the NFC's number one seed. 
The Seahawks and the Steelers, well, how I regret speaking down around Pittsburgh a few weeks ago. Since I proclaimed on this podcast they were kissing goodbye to Mike Tomlin's winning record each season, they've now won what I think is three straight. This probably the most impressive of the lot, 30 points to 23 over the Seattle Seahawks. And then the Chiefs and the Bengals. Although Cincinnati led early, the Chiefs kind of look more like their old selves. Let's hope that they're gearing up to what could be a great playoff run. 25-17 the final score there. And then in a game that I think the world could have happily done without, the Broncos and the Chargers was mismatches and misfiring from both teams all over the field. One team had to win though, and it was Denver, 16 points to 9. And then the Vikings have finally run out of steam, despite finding a formula that kept them relevant for a few weeks more than many of us expected. A 33-10 loss to the Packers ends their hopes of lifting a Lombardi. So there was the week that was in the NFL, gentlemen. Um, If that was week 17, we've only got week 18 ahead. What were the storylines you pick out that were most important as we head to the sharp end of the football season? Yes, for me, the predictability of the good and the bad, I guess. There was a lot in between, but I think the Ravens and the Niners locking up top seeds in their divisions was no great surprise. I mean, I think the way the Ravens did it was mightily impressive, but ultimately I think we, we've we kind of expected for a good few weeks now that the Ravens and the Niners look the cream of the crop in those kind of um, matchups. And then the predictability of how bad the Carolina Panthers is is just becoming a bit depressing to watch, really. Well, actually, that's not true. Watching David Tepper throw drinks at um, Jags fans is always funny. Um, But, yeah, they're just... It it was funny because them being so bad secures the first pick in the draft for the Bears, doesn't it? Because their franchise quarterback that they they sold the farm for is... um, Underwhelming, I guess, is the only way to describe it. I mean, I think you can say that they don't have a great deal of talent on that roster, but I do think they've got good enough receivers for him to be doing better than he's showing. You know, I don't think the Texans, for example, have particularly better receivers than the Carolina Panthers. You know, I think what Adam Thielen's on uh, a thousand yard season, though. So, like, he's done well, but. Oh, he's done brilliantly. Yeah, absolutely brilliantly. Kind of on that point, I'll just, I kind of just, there's a really good point that you've made there because the Cardinals, I think we've talked about, don't really have great receivers at the moment. Mm-hmm. They won at the weekend. The Texans don't really have great receivers. They won at the weekend. The Chicago Bears, who not only don't really have good receivers, but were missing their emerging tight end. And we're also going with their number one receiver as the guy the Panthers traded because they didn't feel he was good enough. Also won this weekend. That's the thing, isn't it? Like you expect when you bring in a franchise caliber quarterback, supposedly from the draft, you expect them to elevate the players around them to not put up a single point is... Well, I think it's just evidence enough of where maybe Bryce Young's at and where that whole organisation's at. Now, that's not to say that next year, you know, he might not be better. I think um, we've seen it enough where rookie quarterbacks maybe get a change of head coach and get some more talent around them and they improve. But I don't, they just don't see many of those shoots of talent 
you know that you see from players like i would say justin fields maybe last year you felt that way you know there were shoots of talent in there and then he was inconsistent he'd miss a few throws but at least you felt like he could go and win a game and he had something about him i guess the same could be said for well trevor lawrence in his first year you know he didn't have a great first year but there was games where he impressed and he did well and i've not really felt like i've seen anything of that sort from Bryce Young. He doesn't feel like a leader and that's, you know, I don't know, not a great position to be in. Um, But he he just doesn't feel like a leader or he doesn't show enough for me. Um, But yeah, I guess that was my takeaway, the predictability of it all. Niners and Ravens, you know, cruising to um, respective titles and then, yeah, the Panthers being the basement dwellers is no great surprise based on what we've seen all year. Yeah, it's it's a weird one with with Bryce Young because it, it, you're right, he hasn't had enough of those flash moments that suggest there is a higher ceiling than his current performances are are maybe suggesting. But really, the Panthers don't really have anything like. Um, the cap room or the draft capital to go and make a, another thing, big splash. Yeah. So I think with them having two head coaches this year, both of whom really have not done a great job. I mean, it, it's not like there's really been even any kind of bounce after they, they moved on from Frank Reich. I mean, I almost feel like with the Panthers, they have to just go into next season as a do over, you know, they literally just have to treat, Bryce Young as if he was a rookie quarterback all over again, um, find a coach that has a compatible system that should ultimately play to his strengths. The The biggest problem really for, for Bryce Young, because I mean, you know, he gets, he gets a do over, he gets to start again, is that Adam Thielen, I seem to think is older than I always imagine. Isn't he something like 33 years old, something he's like that? Like, yeah, he's actually quite old in the and, scheme of how like old you think he is. Yeah, and, and I mean, I just think, you know, and this isn't any kind of put down, and he could absolutely prove me wrong, but I don't think you can rely on Adam Phelan to have another season like this year. You know, he, he has absolutely outperformed any expectation, and certainly his contract in Carolina. So I, I just think Carolina is, it's such a pity because they are a proper lost cause, aren't they? I mean, they, they really are a drift of the rest. Even those teams like the Bears, the Cardinals, you know, those teams that have not had great years, even the Titans, you know, are falling into that bracket if they're not careful. You know, they have things to build on. The Jets are a different case because they've got Aaron Rodgers to get healthy and come back. Yeah, the Panthers just seem a long way away. It's the weird um, thing with it, isn't it? Because the problem is, is like some teams, you have an absolute tank of a year and you think, oh, well, geez, that's not gone well. But at least we've got the first pick in the draft. You know, at least you've got a chance to get right or get some talent in. They don't have that next year. You know, they their their first round pick is their franchise quarterback now. So they haven't even got that capability to go and grab somebody young and talented in, you know, a receiver in the draft or anything like that. They're kind of stuck with what they've got. And like you said, they haven't even got the cap room to go and bring real talent in. So they're a bit hamstrung with what they can do next year, I guess. Yeah, they've got problems, haven't they? So, um, I mean, well worth mentioning Carolina, well worth mentioning the predictability of of um, some of the games at the sharp end. Um, oh, yeah. 
My question for you would be, and maybe it's one that JB will come in on, that one of the things we saw within those games was a number of big hitters. You know, we, we talked about it last week in the Pick'em show. You had the Ravens against the Dolphins, so effectively the AFC's one and two seed. Um, you had the Cowboys and the Lions, the NFC's two and three seed um, as it stands. Um, what did those games do for our belief, particularly in the losing teams? I mean, were the Dolphins so bad that we maybe think that that storyline we've talked about now for probably half a season, they can't beat the best. Is that something that is going to absolutely limit them in the playoffs? Or is this one game, any given Sunday, they caught a rolling Ravens team and it could be different in January or February? So I think, barring some kind of divine intervention, what we are going to be watching on Super Bowl Sunday this year is the Baltimore Ravens lifting the Vince Lombardi trophy for the third time. And we have had like discussions talking about who may or may not be there for Rob Rowe's Super Bowl night. But what I can absolutely guarantee gentlemen is whoever is there is going to have an absolutely awful evening because I am not going to be in a good mood when that happens. So you're thinking the Ravens, so, so let me give you um, the seedings at the moment as it stands AFC. So in the playoffs, you've got Ravens, Dolphins, Chiefs, Browns. And if the season ended today, and we know it isn't, they'd be joined by Jags, Bills, Colts. So there's a couple of others who could squeeze in, Texans and Steelers, um, obviously still with a chance. Are you saying, JB, that the Ravens are head and shoulders above any of those names I've just mentioned? There isn't a single team in that list that you could see toppling Baltimore. And if the answer's no, then good for you. I I am feeling physical pain (laughs) talking about this. But, But no, like, what we saw on Sunday was an absolute demolition of that Dolphins team. And this is a Dolphins team that have scored 70 points this season. They're they're not a bad team. They're not a team who woke up one day and just decided to be bad at football or decide how to forget to run an offense that can score a lot of points. What we witnessed was the the Ravens just absolutely demolish them, like they did with the forty, like they've done with the Forty Niners, like they've done with so many teams. It is. This looks like a team that are just putting every thing together putting every single person is putting the right foot forward they're they're executing everything they need to it, it's one of those kind of things you can see the talking heads from the ravens on america's game talking about these games and talking being like you know the you know this was the one where we really knew we had it and yeah it's only I mean, don't don't get me wrong i i am um, with apologies to any of our international listeners who might not understand this 90s Premier League football reference I'm about to make. But I'm going to get my Kevin Keegan on here, and I would love it if anyone beat them. Love it. Yeah, it worked out really well for Kev. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I should call Kevin Keegan Kev. Uh, that's that's probably over-familiar, isn't it? We'll stick with Kevin. I mean, it is a tad. Um, it's, it's fine. We know he's listening. Wait, yeah, obviously. So, um, I guess, can I... Can you I can. I was going to say, Aldrin, who, who can topple them then? Where are you? Well, I, I, I just wanted to talk about the nearly runs, I guess, because JB's talked about the, the sure thing. And to be honest, 
I, I don't really disagree with him in anything he said. I do think the Ravens look the most complete team. I think the um, polish for Lamar's MVP candidacy was probably sealed at the weekend by putting five touchdowns on a premier team that could have, you know, been a serious Super Bowl challenger and still might be. Look, don't get me wrong, but, you know, the Dolphins are one of the kind of premier teams this year and for him to go out and score five passing touchdowns and I think that's a really key thing you know he didn't run all over the shop it's not like he ran for more than 100 yards I think he was what 70 80 yards something like that so nothing super splashy by his kind of mark but five touchdowns through the air I think shows the progression that he's not just him but the organization has made in you know utilizing him as a more of a pocket passer and not just a gadget player um but yeah, so I think Ravens aside, in terms of the almost ran teams, it was an interesting week really because some of those teams that you think are the real threats or could have been the real threats kind of flattered to deceive. So I'm thinking the Dolphins, you know, they got yeah. absolutely steamrolled. And and I know JB makes a very good point. You know, they, they're a very good team, but equally they've lost to the Bills this year, you know, and they're not good form Bills. So they do have a bit of that history for not beating the best like you mentioned and and again to come up very short against the ravens you know you lose to the ravens on a justin tucker 60 yard field goal at the end of the game then so be it like live with it but to get absolutely um railroaded like they were was was not great um the eagles again losing to uh i'm gonna say it rob not a great arizona cardinals team and i i say that with not just this season, but even in the game, the Cardinals didn't feel great. And then all of a sudden they just put plays together. I think it was more a case of the Eagles not being able to finish drives or get into the end zone that undid them because the Cardinals, you felt like teams, the Cardinals are good enough to come back in games. And they've done that a fair few times this year. You know, they've shown heart, they've shown fight and Tyler and some of those receivers are, are not bad. But the fact that the Eagles just, never really like punched it in enough was a big thing because they like you said they were at what 23 21 6 up in the first half yeah all you have to do is go and put another touchdown or two in like don't feel like you have to go and blow them out 70 odd points but two or three touchdowns was more than achievable and would have put the cards to the sword but they never ever did that they kind of let them back in and let them back in and then the momentum shifted and they don't have it in them to kind of turn that around. So I, I am going to, weirdly enough, I'm going to jump in here to defend the Cardinals. So you, Rob, Rob <laughs> tag, tag me in, right? You tag okay. out for this one, okay? Because I agree I agree with elements of what you were talking about there, Aldrin. But I, for me, it's not like a, they, it wasn't a case of the Eagles Cardinals back in the game. To me, it was watching that and being the Cardinals coming out uh, after sort of a, the after the break at the start of the second half and just essentially being like, no, we are not having this. We are absolutely not having this. We are the better team today and we are absolutely going to go out and prove it. And yeah, the Eagles made errors by not putting on points when they needed to, but it felt as the game were on that the, the Cardinals were just one of those teams that weren't going to be denied. It didn't matter what the Eagles did. The Cardinals 
adamantly were not going to lose that game. James Connor was not going to let oh, his I mean, team lose. It's like, literally like, that's fine. If we get the ball back with 30 seconds, I will run the length of the field. I will run through everybody if I have to. I am not putting all this work in to lose. I do. I, I kind of, I get it and I totally agree with you, but equally good teams don't let that happen. Like when you're that far ahead, just well, ice the game. That's all you need to do. Here's the problem, right? And I think it kind of combines both your points. The Eagles aren't playing well. And here's my rationale for it. The Cardinals had six points at the end of the half. But actually, they'd put together three long, really impressive drives to get in the red zone. Now, in the red zone... Kyler Murray got sacked, I think, the first time they were down there. They had to settle for three. They obviously had that 99-yard pick six that was a miscommunication with a young receiver, but it had been a good drive to that point. And then again, Prater, you know, has a short field goal. So they drove the ball down the field against the Eagles' defense three times, something the Eagles actually didn't do as well against the Cardinals as the Cardinals were doing against them. And then in the second half, it wasn't like the game flipped on its head. It's just the Cardinals finished those drives. And again, I mean, I'm a Cardinals fan and obviously a passionate Cardinals fan. So I have a greater level of attention on this than there would anything else. But there's an amazing moment. And you can kind of see it in some of the um, NFL videos that, that accompanied the game and have come out afterwards, where Kyler Murray goes onto the field for the game-winning drive. Um, and Jonathan Gannon turns to, I think it's Drew Pensing, and said, did you see that look in Kyler's eyes? He's going to go and win us the game. And it felt like they were in that groove. You know, it felt like they were in that mode. Now, they're a team with young receivers, inexperienced players who make mistakes. But actually, at a fundamental level, you've got their their core players, their franchise names, Connor, um, Kyler. And I mean, look, there probably isn't that many more, right? But you look at those, Buddha Baker, actually, you look at the three, four, five standout players the Cardinals have got and actually they're all playing pretty well you know yes there are mistakes from younger players yes it isn't a complete package but the Eagles you're absolutely right a team that has absolutely made their name in the last few years on great defense couldn't stop them couldn't stop Connor couldn't stop those short runs from ultimately you know we're not talking about big tall receivers it was obvious what the Cardinals were going to try and do and the Eagles still couldn't stop it. So as average as the Cardinals are, that is a problem if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, because I think any one of those teams in the playoffs, NFC side, the 49ers will do that to you. The Cowboys will definitely do that to you. The Lions will do that to you. And actually for all of their flaws, the Rams will do that to you. So the thing about the Achilles heel that's developed for Philadelphia is every single one of those NFC playoff teams are built to take advantage of exactly that flaw. Um, yeah, I, I think the Eagles are my big concern on the NFC side. I don't think they last long. On the AFC side, I don't know. I'm loving the Browns. Let, let's hope this roller coaster never ends, right, for Flacco and the Browns. How do we feel about the Chiefs? I mean, a win against a Burrowless Bengals, if we can call them that. Are Kansas City a threat? So, so this is kind of where I'm looking at it from. The Ravens are the best team in the league. In oh, yeah, part, regardless of conference. In, regardless, yeah. but in part because they are the consistent team in the league. Who's the second best team in the league? 
It's probably the 49ers. 49ers all the 49ers had a, had a big yeah. wobble in the middle and haven't, to my mind, looked as dominant as they did before all of that. It's not the Eagles. It's not the Chiefs. It's not the Bills. It's not the Dolphins. It's not the Cowboys. It's not the Lions. It's not the Rams. It's not... There are arguments to be made for why every one of those teams isn't isn't the second best team in the league. And that to me is where the problem came comes from, because you look at it and being like one team is quite clearly above everything else. Everyone else has issues that you just can't trust them on because, yeah, the Chiefs won this week. Didn't didn't look good doing it like it absolutely looked in doubt right up until the very end because the wide receivers still can't catch. Like I think it was a point uh, early on in the second half, the chiefs were mounting quite a nice drive. And then Patrick Mahomes committed one of the cardinal sins that Patrick Mahomes can commit this season. He tried to throw the ball to Marquez, Marquez Valdez Scantling, who shockingly dropped it again. And that's where you come from. The Dolphins have an issue in being productive against good teams. The Bills are too inconsistent. Josh Allen looks like he's taken a step back this season. The Jags don't have Trevor Lawrence consistently, don't have consistency at all. The Texans are great and plucky and give their all, but they don't have the players, the star power to compete at that level. The Browns are great. I also really like the Browns at the moment, but I think I just love the narrative of the Browns and Joe Flacco coming out of the thing. But one thing people were talking about this week was the the comparison, the fact that the Jets had every single option at quarterback that the Browns now have. The Jets could have hired Joe Flacco. And anyone who says that and anyone that says, oh, we knew this is who Joe Flacco was is flat out lying is there is absolute works of fiction coming out of their mouths because the Joe Flacco that we saw last season was absolutely 100% washed. No way. One of the reasons we were talking about Joe Flacco as the comeback player of the year in the uh, chat group was because nobody expected this to happen. So there's still the worry that, when the clock strikes midnight on the season and we move into the playoffs, is Joe Flacco going to turn back into a pumpkin? It's, it's fascinating stories. I would be so much more into it if it wasn't the Ravens that I needed someone to be good enough to be. I mean, I love the Flacco story because he looks healthy. I mean, you forget even after he won the Super Bowl with Baltimore and we're going back, what, 10 years after that, he was plagued by back injuries, you know, still as a younger man, still in his prime. I think you could argue that, you know, the back injury took him out of his prime. Let's say that maybe um, he looks healthy. And for as long as he can stay healthy, you said it last week, JB, he has not forgotten how to be a good quarterback. Um, he's in a team where he gets a certain level of protection. I mean, I felt that actually the Jets did a pretty good job of trying to get to him at times last Thursday, but I don't know. I'm with you. I think even with all the romance of that storyline, the Ravens have a bit of romance of their own, don't they? I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. has started to do Odell Beckham Jr. type things. You know, you add him to Flowers and actually a number of receivers there. You, I don't know. I, I think however romantic and however exciting the Brown story is, I think even there you struggle to to say they're a match 
for Baltimore in the way I think you could make an argument, say the Lions, for example, would be a match for the 49ers. Um, yeah. I think the NFC looks the more competitive conference. The AFC looks the more, well, talent-heavy conference. The AFC is a weird one, though, isn't it? Because to me, you don't know what version of any team you're getting in the AFC because we've seen the full spread this year. Yeah. You know, we've seen games where the Chiefs are brilliant and Kelsey goes for 130, 40 yards and you just think, geez, how does anybody stop them? We've seen the Bills do that against the Dolphins. Geez, they go and put up 30, 40 points after the Dolphins smash a team by scoring 70 points. And you've got a lot of those teams that you just don't know what version you're getting. So you could get a brilliant Chiefs in the playoffs. You could get a brilliant Buffalo in the playoffs if they make it. You know, you've got all of these big questions, really, that yeah. there's very, very good teams that have not had good seasons. But that doesn't mean that those teams don't win a Super Bowl. You know, we've seen it plenty of times where teams kind of struggle just about make it into the playoffs. And then actually, they all they have to do is win three or four games on the bounce. And they're all capable of doing that. Yeah. So I know you're facing better competition and you've got that real challenge and they might all be terrible predictably, but equally somebody's got to make it, you know, at least to, you know, the later rounds of the postseason. So you could just get a team like the chiefs or the bills that just turn it on. They get a couple of players healthy yeah. again and suddenly they're a different kettle of fish. Whereas I think you're right. NFC is way more predictable. Those teams are playing well they're not going to go in feeling bad. They've got good players. But the AFC is the intrigue for me because you could go, oh, do you know what? The Bills and the Chiefs are really struggling. And then they could be the two best teams in the postseason. And the Ravens could, I don't know, have their little bye week and then suddenly lose momentum. You know, it's it's those weird kind of things that you that just happen in the postseason. So it's, don't, it's don't always... Don't tease me with a good time, Audrey. Don't, don't, don't dangle that carrot in front of me. I mean, uh, you know what I mean, though? Sometimes yeah. that bye week is like a poison chalice because, I don't know, they go, oh, do you know what? We've got nothing to play for in week 18. Rest a few starters and, uh, you know, the backups come in. They lose a game. And you go, oh, don't worry. And then you've got a week off and you've not got the chance to get it right. And you go, yeah, we'll get people healthy again. And then you go into the first week of the postseason with no momentum. It's... It, that's what that AFC group feels like because you've got the question marks about, geez, what if one of these teams just gets hot now? And that's the thing that I, I just don't know. I the think we are, oh, we, are in, on, sorry, we are in the midst, um, entertainment-wise, of the remake being the thing. Games are getting remade and remastered all the times. We're having remakes of classic movies and everything like that. And I think what we are looking at now is a remake of the greatest story ever told. I don't know how we're going to get there, and I don't know what point of the playoffs this will need to occur. But honestly, Joe Flacco leading the Cleveland Browns into Empty Bank Stadium and winning, knocking those Baltimore Ravens who are only there because the owner left Cleveland to do it, encapsulates... Every single thing I love about a story, and it includes the Ravens losing in horrific fashion and, and Ravens fans crying. And it just, if 2024 is going to be a better year, I am asking the fates, 
please give me that. Oh, right. I, I love I love what you've created there. I still think I'd be more excited by Matt Stafford going into Detroit to play the Jared Goff-led Lions. I think that's the one I'm kind of half looking forward to. But look, I, I mean, you make very strong arguments. You could well be right. The thing for me, and the only thing I want to say now about the Ravens is, remember they were down against the Dolphins. Remember the Dolphins got out to a lead, started the game with two, three really good drives, and you know what? That was something I was thinking, you know, against a good team when they fall behind, a team that can continue to score and continue to apply pressure, what do Baltimore do? The answer was obliterate them. I mean, uh, I I can't see past Baltimore, but maybe Aldrin, you're onto something and I'll be left with egg on my face. It won't be the first time, um, as regular listeners to this pod will know. Um, but there is the recap of the week that, that was week 17. We're now going to flip our attentions to week 18, pick out the big games that are going to mean something, still playoff berths up for grabs as we've been talking about, and also that all-important word momentum as we get into real January playoff football. But before we do, gents, after a mediocre showing last week where Aldrin won very comfortably, actually, in the NJB, 2 to nil in our end-of-year special, we're back to the usual format, the toughest quiz question in all of podcasting. And this week is an absolute banger. Now, listen very carefully, as the question is not without its complexities. Once you've got your head around it, quite straightforward to answer, though, I hope. So, heading into this season, there were two sets, two pairs of quarterback and wide receiver who had combined for 4,000 yards in their first three seasons playing together. So this is a quarterback wide receiver tandem pairing, if you will, who have combined for 4,000 yards in their first three seasons together. So heading into this season, those two pairings were Kirk Cousins to Justin Jefferson in Minnesota and Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs in Buffalo. Now, the reason this is interesting is we had two heading into this season. There have only been two others in the history of the National Football League. So I want to know, can you name either of those pairings, quarterback and wide receiver, who have combined for 4,000 yards in their first three seasons as teammates? So you're looking for a quarterback and a wide receiver. There are two pairs in the history of the NFL um, prior to these that I've just mentioned, either one of them. And I'll say that these will be names you will be aware of. These are people you will have heard of. We're not going back to like the 1950s for me to pluck these fame names out. These are players you will be familiar with. Um, you're looking for either one of the two remaining pairs. All make sense? Beautiful. So that was this week's No Google All Noodle. For those of you playing along in Listenerland, I will come back for the answers from our esteemed uh, contributors at the end of the end of the show. Uh, gives you time to keep your thinking caps on. But with that done, let's move from the recap element of our show to the pick'em element. In week 18, I want you guys to pick out the game of the week. Tell us which players and which battles will matter and ultimately predict the winner, namely put the team you think is going to get the dub into the most exclusive club in all of podcasting, Club Dub. Aldrin, you always kick us off first. Your game of the week, please, for week 18. This was tough because 
I was going down the list really looking at games that actually matter, not necessarily, you know, the games that seem to, that could be like the big headline games, but really the ones that are actually going to make a difference in terms of playoff implications. And I hate to say it, but selfishly, one that stands out to me is the Texans against the Colts, because that really is a whoever wins is in. You know, both teams, it's on the line. Um, oddly, we can all win the division as well, which feels bizarre. I mean, the Titans can't, obviously, but the Texans, Colts, and Jags can all win, although it kind of feels like the Jags might well have that one sewn up um, as long as they don't lose. Um, but, yeah, the Texans-Colts game will be an interesting one because it's um, it's a very different matchup to the one we had earlier in the year. Anthony Richardson, I think, ran in two touchdowns um, against the Texans in that first game. And, well, C.J. Stroud had a C.J. Stroud game. I think he threw two touchdowns, no interceptions, and was pretty clean throughout. So it was a close game. Um, now, we're a very different team in the sense that we've got and have had Gardner Minshew for a, a good stretch of the season. And overall, we just kind of seem to find ways to win, broadly speaking. Not every game, and we, we certainly have our flaws, but the Colts certainly seem to be able to get it done and do enough to win and we keep games tight pretty much we're scoring over 20 points every game which considering you've got a backup quarterback and probably one notable receiver and then a few mix of young and talented throughout um so the fact that we put up 20 points pretty much every game this season has been nothing short of impressive and shows how Steichen's really schemed things and, and, you know, created ways for us to put ourselves in positions to win. The Texans, on the other hand, have been without Stroud for a few weeks, weeks prior, you know, through um, through concussion. And then all of a sudden, when he's back, they look like the steamroller that has been the Texans and their offense when he's at the helm. Um, so overall, it, I think it'll be a really interesting matchup because... It matters for both teams. Both teams can make the playoffs. Um, injuries have hit both of us hard, I think. You know, both teams have struggled throughout the last few weeks with various different injuries, obviously. The Texans lost Tank Dell to that um, nasty leg fracture. And they've had CJ Stroud out, like I said. The Colts, we've had Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss in and out throughout the season due to injury. So that running back room's been a bit... Um, up and down and obviously having lost a you know young talented exciting quarterback is never great um particularly when the the backup is quite different although i'm a, you know i'm a big fan but he's a very different type of player than no less what Anthony Richardson is. no no totally not so i think for me it poses a really interesting game because this is one of the games where teams aren't reliant on other results you know there's a few that you know yeah the lions need to win but they also need something else to happen or the packers need to win but also something else need, you know with this you're facing your opponent and that opponent can either take your postseason away from you or gift it to you so um i think it makes for a really interesting matchup very different to the game we had earlier in the season but a really interesting matchup it's going to be a close one because i think the Colts need to put pressure on CJ Stroud and their offensive line. Um, 
the the Texans need to pressure the defense because when you ship the amount of yards and points that we did to Aiden O'Connell of the Raiders who couldn't get a completion in three quarters of football the week before, yeah, doesn't bode well against somebody like CJ Stroud. So, you know, the Texans need to go at it. And I think what their game plan will be is be aggressive, try and overwhelm the Colts early and put points on the board. For the Colts, I think what we'll do is just try to manage the pace of the game. We've done that really well the last few weeks with a good mix of run and pass and just move down the field and control possession. I think that's what we need to do. And yeah, I think we know what the Texans are going to do. They're going to, you know, put it on CJ Stroud's arm and believe that they can win. And, and certainly he's shown that he can do that. this year. match up, I think. You, you made a lot of interesting points. Let's start with the fact that for both these teams, really the playoffs start in week 18. You know, it, it's win or go oh, home yeah. from now on out for both of these teams. Um, for the Colts, I think there are a few things. It's nice that Michael Pittman will be back. I mean, he was back in a limited fashion um, last weekend after he's he missed out near the concussion. Um, yeah. he sustained yeah. against the Steelers. So it's nice to have him involved because I think he would need to be important. You've got to imagine that for the Colts to win the game, they're going to need to score points. You can't imagine a low-scoring game between yeah. these two. Um, but the other thing that I think could factor into this is turnovers. Now, we know CJ Stroud has actually been, generally speaking, very good at protecting the ball. An anomaly in a couple of games, the Cardinals one actually was was probably his only bad performance where there were a couple of really bad throws he wished he had back. But Gardner Minshew, we know he's going to try through the air. You know, he's not afraid of throwing deep balls. So, you know, the Texans, if they're able to turn over the ball against the Colts, I think that could be a game changer. Um, and the Colts, if they can score points, I think that will put pressure on on a Texans team. Um, my question more to you, Aldrin, before we maybe throw over to JB, is weirdly, do you think it would be a disappointing season for both of these teams if they don't make the playoffs, particularly when you think start of the season, Houston Texans, I mean, the expectations with a rookie QB were low. And also for the Colts, when you lost your rookie superstar quarterback and went to, to Minshew as a backup, again, expectations were probably low. So is it fair to say that whichever team goes out will be disappointed and will say it probably wasn't the best of seasons or should, could both teams ultimately just be happy to have made it this far? think whichever team doesn't win will be disappointed and the reason being not just throughout you know however the season's gone but ultimately this week it's in your hands you know you can't have helped what's gone on in the past even five weeks let's say now but if you go out it's because you didn't get a win against the team you know you could beat because I think both teams will believe that the other team is beatable. It, you know, we neither of us is the Ravens. You know, it's not like you go up against the Ravens and go, oh, well, we had the Ravens in the final week and they steamrolled us. Fair enough. You know, both teams are inconsistent. There are problems on both teams. There are opportunities for oppositions to score points. So you will be disappointed regardless. Now, if I look at the season as a whole, 
No, neither team should be disappointed. I think the Texans, the fact that they weren't at the basement of the division halfway through the year will will have been the success story already. And the fact that they've clearly got a franchise quarterback for the future will mean that they shouldn't be disappointed because whatever happens, it's been a learning year. They've got a hell of a player in CJ Stroud and they're going to have a, a really bright future, I think, with him at the helm. Same for the Colts. You know, I didn't really come into this season holding out much expectation or hope for postseason football purely because I felt Anthony Richardson's going to be a work in progress. You know, he's going to have great games and he's going to have bad games because he came in with very little college experience and, you know, needed to learn the game. And, and unfortunately, we haven't had enough of that this year. But ultimately, I kind of felt like if we make the postseason great, if we didn't, it was no great loss. It was always going to be a learning year. So I think if I was starting at week one and you said both of these teams have missed out on playoff football, neither team should be disappointed, particularly given the showings that they've given over the past few weeks. But now you come to it and you're facing a team that you can beat to get into the postseason. Yeah, one team's going to go away disappointed regardless. For me, like... And, and Apollo's kind of going back a little bit here. Part of this, the attraction for this game is kind of the what if of this could have been playoffs on the line, CJ Stroud versus Anthony Richardson. And how much of a different game would it be? How how different would the Colts feel with that? Kind oh, we of... would have cruised it. I would have been really confident. But that, uh, genuinely, I think yeah. I would have been really confident. But as it is, I'm not. It's uh, there was something I think it was um uh Tony Romo oh, who's Tony Romo's partner Jim Nance that took a while Jim Nance said at the weekend is kind of it's the season of the backup quarterback and in some cases it's been the season of the third or fourth choice quarterback but out of everyone who has kind of had to step in when the the franchise starter or expected franchise starter goes down i think gardner Minshew's maybe been the best like he has been the most consistent i think think he's the he's he was coming in to the season the one backup quarterback that you thought they could still be a starter somewhere they should still be a starter somewhere versus some of the caliber that was starting elsewhere i mean yeah i I don't know i don't know if you've you've watched the last last two games but i think mason rudolph's making a a good case for that kind of tear for himself i don't know if you've paid attention anyway we're not talking that guy that guy is going to go in at like senior stock manager at costco not junior you know he's done he's put his stamp on his cv really well he's uh, he can he can sell you a kitchen and then drive off in his lexus which as we all know is the The japanese Japanese Mercedes. mercedes um I, I really like this as a game of the week. I think it is one of the most fun games because I just think it will be good. This is, these are two good teams and you've got two good quarterbacks who are not afraid of standing in the pocket and throwing the ball. They're not scared of understanding that they need to be mobile. They need to extend the play and move and sort of escape the pocket to let something develop downfield. I think Minshew has always like even going back to like the Jacksonville days, has always had that kind of like headband, bandana wearing, gunslinger mentality of a guy who is completely aware of the fact that his career as a starter could be over like tomorrow. 
Like if the, if the Colts don't win this, this could be the last time Gardner Minshew starts a, a football game for anybody ever. It'll be a crying shame. I don't think it'll happen, but it could. And I think he's embraced that in terms of how he just carries himself and how he treats every game. Well, CJ Stroud has to be the rookie of the year on offense at the very least. Like he absolutely has to be. There is no way you can give it to anybody else because that guy put an entire franchise on his back and just walked through the season. Like the only time I think in recent recent weeks the Colt the, the Colts, the Texans have looked vulnerable is the weeks that he wasn't there. When he is in the lineup, you have to look at that and think Texans have got a chance here. With with respect, Aldrin, the Texans are going to do this because ultimately they've got CJ Stroud. And I think that's there's something quite poetic about us ending with that because from my point of view, the last time you had a franchise who were a, a bit on the ropes, a bit inconsistent, but you looked at their starting quarterback and thought, well, they've got him, so they've always got a chance, was Andrew Luck when he was at the Colts. So... Is this now a complete like metaphorical passing of the torch between that now? It's it's just going to be fun. It's going to be nice. I can't wait for Aldrin to have a to potentially have a PB style complete breakdown in the text chat if the Colts lose. I'm not as emotional as PB. Give me a give me a break. <laughs> it's not going to ruin my day like it would PB. I still think Gardner Minshew is a good quarterback. I think Atlanta, I Atlanta, Green Bay, Tennessee, um, crikey, Patriots, I mean, yeah, most, the Steelers. most of those teams. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of teams that could do far worse than starting somebody like Gardner Minshew. Turns the ball over too much, but, you know, again, find me a, a quarterback that doesn't. If you're outside the top 10, I'm not sure um, you could really say that anybody's particularly good um, when it comes to ball security in big games. Anyway... Aldrin, I, I mean, I'm not surprised you picked this game on the one hand, right? Because it's the game that matters most. It's the standout game of the week. Um, it's one of the win-and-you're-in type games. Um, but it does mean picking either for or against your beloved Colts. Um, give us the rundown and tell us who ends up in club dub. I think it will be a very close game. And like you say, I do think it will come down to who manages the game best and doesn't turn over the ball. And I do hate to say it, but that's going to be the Texans. I know, right? Picking against your own team is never great. Wow. But Picking um, against your own team in this bigger spot. I mean, I don't I, like picking against the Cardinals when they're, you know, no, three and just, ten or whatever we are. I, was, I hate to say it, but I've seen enough of CJ Stroud to know that he is a very, very good quarterback and he's just better than Gardner Minshew. And I, I think that's that's what it'll come down to because I don't think it's going to be, you know, neither team's going to blow the other team out. But I think if it comes down to it and a team needs to put a long drive together, I can see CJ Stroud doing it and I, I can't necessarily feel like we're eschewing yet. But... I wouldn't be disappointed with the season. You know, I think the fact that we've gone the majority of this year without Anthony Richardson and got this close shows that we've got enough pieces and enough talent there. And when we get a healthy and firing Anthony Richardson, then I'd be really confident next year that we'll blow out the division. So, um, yeah. well, there you go. But I might do, you know, maybe I'm doing my JB mind trick and, you know, when he picks the Ravens, 
just really because he absolutely hates them and thinks that the fates when he picks them will um will dish him a good slice of fortune and and sink them so maybe it's that a bit of mind tricks these aren't the droids you're looking for i like it but worth noting jacksonville indianapolis and houston as you said going to this week nine and seven as much as it's going to be two from three by the look of it those teams um all three of them ending with a winning record i think is certainly a great result for indianapolis with how the season's unfolded brilliant result for houston um let's see jacksonville getting with a bit of style that maybe gives us some belief that they can go a game further but um but yeah i like it astounded that it's the texans in club dub but there we go jb how do you follow that well all you got to do is tell us your game of the week and hopefully for you it's not the steelers against the ravens don't worry it's not the steelers against the ravens uh i have talked enough about the ravens this week i already feel like i need to go and have a shower afterwards um instead we are going to talk about kings because obviously Rob Stark, for a period, is the king in the north. Elvis is the king of rock and roll. And for a very, very long time, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady were the kings in the east. It is potentially the last time we're going to talk about Bill Belichick as anything connected to the AFC East. But that's not the game we're focusing on this week. We are focusing on who the new king of the east is going to be. Is it going to be the Sean McDermott? and his slightly questionable at times motivational speeches and the Buffalo Bills, or is it going to be the just plain weird Mike McDaniel and the Tua Tungavailoa-led Miami Dolphins? And it's the last game of the regular season. It's Sunday night football. It's going to be good because this is all about seeding and playoff position for the Dolphins, and it's all about the playoffs for the Bills. And I kind of feel like we'll start with the dolphins because they have the most to lose they are all uh, as we as we talk about this now they are sitting as the uh well afc east champions elect they just need to get through buffalo but the biggest news out of the shellacking that they took from the ravens from my mind wasn't the fact that they lost when they needed to put in a really good performance it was the fact that they lost Bradley Chubb to was it an ACL tear. He's out now. Yeah. Tua left with a shoulder injury, which is a problem because Tua has had several injuries that have kept him out for a while before. And they need Tua to be on his game for the playoffs. And just all of that like momentum and I think happy feeling that was there around them had kind of faded out, as we said, just by this Ravens juggernaut. So what they need to go do is go in and have the showing of a lifetime. This doesn't. This can't be a, we're going to rest some play, key players for the playoffs. This needs to be, right, sun's out, guns out, guns blazing, and let us go through these playoffs like Joe Flacco and the Ravens did in 2012. Let us put everything we have got into all of this and come away with a victory like we have seen them put before. We, I, I keep... Coming back to it, that the Ravens team that we're talking about here is slightly inconsistent and slight with slight concerns are still the same uh, Dolphins team that put 70 points up against the Broncos earlier on in the season. That form is there. That fire is there. And it has to come out because, to me, there's too much at stake for them to take the foot off the pedal. There's too much to ease into it and think, OK, let's rest some people. From a Bills point of view... 
they are far too inconsistent. They look really, really weak at times. Um, I don't think any of us had any doubt that the Bills were going to beat the Patriots the previous weekend. But I don't think any of us saw the Patriots running the opening kickoff back for a touchdown, weaving through everybody, like almost like to borrow a phrase that Rob and I have used several times this week, like a knife through hot butter. It was almost untouched. And that is a catastrophe because you can't have that kind of thing happen in, in a game where you need to mark Tyreek Hill. You can't give him space. You can't take your eyes off him. You can't let him get anywhere near what happened then. And they might have Waddle back. They might have Mostert back. A-Shane has looked really, really solid and really, really strong. There is so much positivity to talk about with the Dolphins on offense. The Bills have to show what they're capable of on defense. Von Miller last week was a healthy scratch, which I thought was an interesting choice because we've talked about like the Von Miller signing previously as a guy that we well, don't need something from him every single down. But what you do need is you put him in for the key downs and then he'll produce something from there. Very hard for him to produce magic when he's not on the field at all because he's not suited up. But is that where the bills are going? Are they leaning more on this, like almost like ball hawking defense um, led by Rizal Douglas, who they got from the Packers kind of around the trade deadline? But it's who is the identity of the bills at the moment? Because they're not really a running team. They're not really a quarterback running team. They're not really a passing team. They're not really a strong defense. And it feels an awful lot like it's far too late for you to now be working out who you are. But conversely, deciding it the week before the playoffs, it, it does feel a little bit like doing your homework the night before you had to hand it in or writing your university dissertation the day before you had to hand it in. Not that I would know what that's like. Um, it, you, you haven't got anything else. It, like your back's against the wall. You have to work out what it's going to be. So just do it live i guess it's it's there's so much about this as it feels like it's going to be great i th- i think the point that i would absolutely echo from what you've just said is the buffalo bill story here i think is an important one you're absolutely right the dolphins have got injuries on defense so you've got chubb definitely out you've got xavier and howard who could be out so you Jaylen, think jalen phillips as well he already yeah i you know big players yeah. You, you kind of look at what they've got on defense and think actually that is without those big names, a fragile defense that if the bills are able to get anything going offensively, those are, you know, pretty reasonable conditions to try and, um, you know, refire that offense to, to kind of give them a bit of confidence, get them in a bit of a rhythm going into the playoffs. The weird thing with Buffalo is they've won what is it, five out of their last six, and I think their last four, their last defeat was that overtime defeat to the Eagles, feels a long time ago for, for Philadelphia, I'm sure. But the the weird thing is, is despite the fact they are one of the form teams in the NFL, you're right, JB, we have not seen what we expected from Buffalo. We have not seen that high-octane offense. We have not seen that biting defense. So form look is inarguable when you look at the record books but look we're not seeing anything that should really put them you know toe to toe as contenders with some of the teams we talked about earlier in this pod the dolphins weirdly i mean it looks like Tua could and should play but you know what even if some of these big names don't 
you know, the Dolphins are already in. It's a great situation for them to get a few people healthy over the next couple of weeks and go again. I mean, you don't replace Bradley Chubb. I think Chubb has kind of gone under the radar a little bit with what he's been able to do in in certain games. He certainly felt like a guy that, although he's not been grabbing the headlines, could be somebody who stands up when it matters most. But look, I mean, I, I think Buffalo need to win and win well to change my view on what they could be this year. The Dolphins, I think, getting healthy for meaningful football in the playoffs is what they should do. I almost wonder if you know, if Savian Howard, if Tua Tungavailoa, you know, we've had obviously uh, Hill and Waddle actually miss games over the last month. If any of them feel like they are not quite right, and actually A-Chain had to play didn't he, instead of most at the weekend. So if anyone feels 50-50, I expect them to be dressed in civvies and sat on the bench. So all of that says to me that Buffalo need to go make a statement. Yeah, I would agree. It's... um. Kind of like we touched on, it's weird for me because the Bills, you could get a great version of the Bills and Josh Allen, or you can get a terrible version of Josh Allen and ultimately the Bills. I think they very much ride this year on um, his energy and, you know, where he's playing at because we saw him in London and he was a bit flat. He didn't really stretch the field and ultimately they were just poor. No urgency was there until it was far but, too late. But, you know, then equally they had weeks before that where they destroy a really good team in the Dolphins, you know, coming off that high win. So you've got this real weird version of whatever iteration of the Bills you get. They could be great. They could be poor. I mean, I think this year that connection between Diggs and Allen doesn't really feel like it's been there and whether that's the plays not being dialed up for it or them just not finding that groove but that's been the one big missing link because it's felt like in the past few years well you know it's part of the quiz question you know they've connected so well for so many yards and this year that doesn't feel like it's worked and then you've got other players One of the most frustrating players, particularly if you have him in fantasy, is Gabe Davis. Because that guy can have a 200-yard game and a zero-yard game, and you don't know what version you're going to get. And that that feels exactly like what the Bills are like overall. You've got such talent in there, and then every now and then they just suck. And then the, the next week they'll just catch on fire and be great. So it's kind of like I was saying, you just don't know what version you're going to get now. I'm with you. I expect the Dolphins to rest a whole bunch of important players because as much as I agree with you, JB, they could do with a statement and going well. I think if I was them, I would feel I've made my statements this year. What I need is I need all those players to be healthy that can make a statement the week after. You know, they don't have to beat the Bills. They do have to beat whoever they face in the postseason. And I think if you've got a chance to rest most at a-Chain, Waddle, Hill, Tua, who have all been banged up, particularly the last two or three weeks. What you don't want to do is force them into a game and have them roll an ankle or tweak their shoulder, and then you've got to play, who's it, Mike White? Is he their backup quarterback in yeah. the postseason? Like, you can't afford that. You can afford a loss to the Bills and dust it off and go, well, well that wasn't great. That sucks a bit. 
but at least we're in the postseason and we've got a chance against whoever. What you haven't got a chance at is the postseason if really, I hate to say it, but one or two of those gets injured in the postseason. Yeah. I really think they're out of contention because without yeah. Hill, they're a real different proposition. Without Tua, they've got zero chance. So I think there's there's a couple of those players that you lose one or two. Yeah. Defense, you can lose players and don't get me wrong, you can't afford to lose people like Bradley Chubb. But if you score 50 points and the other team scores 40, fair enough. You yeah. know, you can live with that. What you can't afford to do is give up 30 points without Bradley Chubb and then put seven points on the board because you've got Mike White running the show. So I'm kind of with Rob to a degree. I agree with you. They need to make a statement win, but I think they'll be more bothered about the week after. The weird thing, JB, for me is this whole, because, I mean, we talk about Buffalo being inconsistent. It's a Josh Allen conversation, isn't it, for me? I mean, you can, you can look at offense, defense, rushing, all this. So Josh Allen in the win against the Cowboys threw for less than 100 yards. Um, here's the tail of the tape from the win over the Patriots at the weekend. Josh Allen, 15 of 30 passing, 169 yards and an interception. No. I mean, those those figures, those stats, his stat line actually is helped by the fact he had two very short yard rushing touchdowns down in the red zone. Even they were off short fields. Stefan Diggs, four receptions, 26 yards. The, this is meant to be the partnership that they build their team around. I mean, a championship defense isn't going to take them far enough with the rest of the talent in the AFC. The Bills need to find their formula and it needs to be found this weekend for me. But you have made a very compelling argument for the Dolphins and what they need to do to JB. So we're back to you for closing remarks and putting one team beyond the velvet rope. In the last 14 games between these two teams across both the regular season and the playoffs, Buffalo have won 12, lost two. And what I am here today to tell you, gentlemen, is that after this weekend, in the previous 15 games between these two teams, the Bills will still have only won 12 because we are welcoming the Mammy Dolphins into Club Dub. Someone hit the Miami Vice theme tune. Oh, we can't afford that. Crikey. You've said um, this for a week's running and Rob is never going to afford it. Yeah, it's like, how much, how much money I'm, do you well, I'm, man, I'm manifesting. Like, what I'm doing is I'm subconsciously planting this idea into Rob's head that eventually it will pay off somehow. I, I can't even hum it. Works. We're not even allowed. Um, do, do you know what? The only point I would want to add, actually, and, and Aldrin and I nearly got to it, is actually I can see a Mike White-led Dolphins beating the Bills. Uh, I do think that's possible, even with all the different things we talked about. But, wow, if I'd have had to guess with the two games you picked, who would be partying away in the most exclusive club in all of podcasting, I would not have had the Texans and the Dolphins in Club Dub. Wow, this is what people tune in for, gentlemen. Gold standard podcasting as ever. So we've come to the end of our uh, lovely little show. Uh, thank you for your company, gents. And before we um, bid each other farewell and disappear off into the misty nights, um, we have our two favourite pieces of AOB. All the competitions roll around to here. So firstly, the toughest quiz question in all of podcasting. <laughs> 
allowed to Google. It's all noodle. So what I asked you to think about is coming into this season, there were two pairings of quarterback and wide receiver who in their first three seasons playing together had combined for 4,000 yards. They were Allen and Diggs in Buffalo, and they were Cousins and Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. In the history of the National Football League, there have only ever been two other pairings who've done that. So quarterback and wide receiver combining for 4,000 yards in their first three seasons playing together. Aldrin, I'm going to come to you first. Can you name either of the pairings? Write down four. You've written down four. Crikey, JB, have you written any down? I've written down two. Okay, well, let's start off with kind of a a tennis-like rally where you name your best guess, Aldrin. Then I'm going to go to JB's best guess and so on. And because there are two, I'll mention if you get it right at any point. So, Aldrin, your best guess. Philip Rivers and Keenan Allen. Incorrect. JB. That was my banker. (laughs) JB. Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Incorrect. Mm. Aldrin. Okay, right. Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Incorrect. Jeez. JB. What what I really love about this is Aldrin has gone, as I would see it, fairly modern, whereas I have not, because my other guests that I well, that's in. that's what we're about, JB. You do the past, I do the present. <laughs> Someone, yeah, someone play the bread advert music for this. Yeah, we can't I, I do that anymore. Corey either. Aikman and Michael Irvin. Incorrect. Jeez. Now, right, I'm going to give you a my clue. Others? Can I do um, my two others first? And then yeah, go on. If I'm completely wrong, which seems likely, because the first two I gave were the ones that I was sure must sure have done 4,000 yards. Um, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams was one that I had incorrect god right. we're really scraping the barrel last last effort ben Roethlisberger and aj brown it's not them either no incorrect Jeez. do you do you want a clue sure, sure. are they football players they are football was... players and <laughs> the, most the, of them. the two pairs i'm looking for right so the two separate pairs there is a strong connection between the separate pairs so as well as the pairs i'm looking for those pairs are connected to each oh. other no because he was a tight end yeah i had some tight ends in there genuinely i don't know i thought all of those must have been on for like four thousand yards surely in their first three seasons joe, together joe burrow and jamar chase i don't in, think so incorrect no. do you want the strongest clue going go yeah. on yeah the connection between the two separate pairs is that one member of each pair is related to a member of the other pair. Right. Peyton, oh, JP, Manning, Peyton Manning and Demarius Thomas. Is the first correct oh, answer yeah, you have given. Yeah, that's a great shout. Peyton well Manning, Demarius yeah. Thomas is the first correct answer. And Eli Manning and OBJ. 
And the second is Eli Manning and go. Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, it took it you two clues, gents. But yeah, in their first three seasons playing together, the only other pairings in NFL history were Peyton Manning and Demaryius Thomas and Eli Manning and Odell Beckham See, Jr. The, the weirdest go. thing about that quiz question for me is the Eli Manning part. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, even Odell I Beckham mean, it's Jr. OBJ, isn't him, it? Like... I mean, you think of him as making amazing catches, but I'm not sure I had him down as like a yard monster. Yeah. But they didn't have anybody else, did they? They no, just true, threw it to Beckham true. and he just went, oh, I'll catch that. But that's the thing yeah. is that I, I don't think about Eli Manning completing passes. What I generally think of when I think of Eli Manning is the offensive line helping him off the off the ground after he's been smacked again and him throwing the ball to the other team. That guy won like two him. Super Bowls. The guy yeah. that, that's a winning family, just wait till Arch Manning hits the league. That guy's winning two Super Bowls, isn't he? I, I really, we're well, getting way off point here, but did you see the picture from the media stuff for the bowl season this week when Arch Manning is surrounded by media and like the starting quarterback for one of the big colleges is just there going like, no one wants to talk to me? Well, you realise he's making more money. <laughs> Four times more money. Bench. He's making four times more money than Brock Purdy, who is currently third in the NFL MVP betting. So yeah, there you go. There's a life that's been lived. Um, anyway, well done, gents. We got there in pretty good fashion and there were some very good guesses on the way as well. Um, JB, you know where we're heading. Last piece of AOB, please, for this week's Club Dub podcast. And can you set the scene? Because for those who maybe haven't been listening in recent weeks, you think the playoff race is tight. Buckle up. So we went into this week with Rob on five, PB on five, Aldrin on five, and JB on four, which, of course, as you know, means to avoid elimination. JB needed to win this week, right? And I can reveal that there was a, I would say clear, there was a definitive winner, no need for tiebreakers. It was, for all of JB's fans out there, and I know Aldrin's dad is the only one out there. Thanks for listening, Nick. Um, I Unfortunately, with 10 and 6, I uh, finished last. I think my inability to pick the Ravens came back to haunt me. Yeah, I mean, at least you're happen. consistent. I think yeah. that's the takeaway for the year. Both fantasy oh. and uh, and Pickham's, you've been oh. consistently bottom of the league. I let's yeah, let's just let's move on from this season as quickly as possible. But you talk about consistency. One of the consistent things on the podcast this season a season has been duplicate scores, and we had another one of those as Rob and Aldrin. You both scored eleven and five for Not joint bad. second. Which means PB with a twelve and four takes his sixth victory of the season. So wow, rubbish. This this Let, from a guy that supports Arsenal and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Both of them got smashed at the weekend. But nonetheless, well done, Phil. Well, let's so let's just hold on there because let's talk about situations right now. JB eliminated, which means going into the final week of the season, one of three people can win. And I'm ecstatic because this is the closest that it has ever been. It's we have it's always been already won by this point. So if PB wins, he wins outright. Aldrin, Rob, if you win next week, then we go to our standard tiebreaker, which is overall 
number of correct predictions. And the both of you will have an edge on this because PB had two weeks this season where he made no predictions at all. Comes back to haunt you. Yeah. 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 It, It is literally as close as it could be. There is no way this could be any closer. We are, you know, some people would call this like, you know, next goal wins. Some would call it first past the post. I would prefer to think of this as, uh, was it dodgeball rule 37D? Sudden death. Nice. Nice. Actually, I think the level of drama with our Pick'em challenge this year deserves to be on ESPN 8, the Ocho. I think maybe we should reach out. My my favourite thing about it this season is the fact that we are in the last week of the season and because Rob hasn't lost drastically he is still invested in it yeah he's still engaged he's still filling yeah. it in i like and, it and and remember guys in this land you can play along with us you can find us on a whole variety of social channels all the usual places just search for club dub podcast or you can go old school snail mail snail mailers even took two goes at that um send your emails to club dub podcast at mail.com um, but gentlemen, I said earlier, gold standard, always exciting times when the playoffs are around the corner. Thank you for your company. And I cannot wait to find my way onto my sofa on Sunday night for the last red zone of the season. That in itself is a momentous occasion. And I'll see you all on the flip side in a week's time where we get to talk about who's in and what comes next for the league's biggest hitters. Thanks, Rob. I'm sorry I doubted you, Mike. You're still my boy. Thanks a lot. Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends. Again.